Welcome back to Hey Look Listen, or this week, should I say, Hey Look. Huh? Own? Huh? I'm joined here by Orna Rudin. <laughs> My name is Liam Sheehan, but unfortunately this week we are down one man. Jonathan Marcy isn't able to join us, um, but rest assured he will be back for episode 12. Marcy, we miss you. We love you. But we're we're going to try to carry on. It always sounds very morbid, doesn't it? You know, when someone's missing from something like this, it always feels like something bad has happened. Oh, and this is a video game podcast. Okay, it's the most <laughs> morbid thing in the world. <laughs> but, um, Owen, how are you doing? Um, I'm good, Liam. I'm good. I'm good. I'm actually really good. Um, I feel like I'm hitting my video game stride. I'm discovering some new things. I want to jump in to and mention something. You know, at the top of the show, we, we, we generally talk about games that we've been playing. Um, and I really want to give a, a special shout out to Game of the Week, Owen's new segment. Now is <laughs> now is this the one you mentioned briefly last in last week in last episode? Of yes, it is. Uh, before your eyes. Yeah, I I'm pretty sure I texted you directly after I had finished this game, saying Liam Sheehan, you need to get yeah. your act together. And now, I was day drinking. Game. I was day drinking at the time, and I think I got even drunker as I saw that message from you, and I was like, damn. He really liked this game. <laughs> if if you had played it in your drunken state, I would have guaranteed tears. Oh yeah, well that that is I, I, I like I said last time I cried when Otacon and Snake did a handshake, so <laughs> probably. But I'm very fascinated. Oh, God, yeah. You didn't go into too much detail, so tell me about it. I didn't. Yeah, yeah. So, but before your eyes, um, currently available on Steam for I think like ten or fifteen bucks, so it's reasonably priced. Um, saying that it is about a 60, 40 to 60 minute experience a hook of the game really is. It's a game that requires some webcam integration as the name and title of the game would suggest before your eyes. The, the premise is kind of like watching your entire life flash before your eyes. But when you blink in real life, the game transports you forward in time. So, when you blink, it could transport you seconds, it could transport you minutes, or it could transport you years in time. So essentially, the narrative unfolds every time that you blink in real life. Um, it has it, you know, very, very uh, interesting story. Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily break new ground in terms of the actual story that's being told, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's being told in such a unique and well, clever yeah. way. And the way it's presented and it, it's, you know, this is the opening minutes of the game, so it doesn't necessarily spoil it is, you know, you're a, a character who was who has died and you're met with this Sphinx like character who <laughs> says that in order to cross to, you know, the, the other world, you have to go through this process of judgment. And he's essentially the storyteller of your life and you will be judged whether or not you're worthy or not to go to um, to pass over. So he's trying to find that that tidbit of like what makes you special as a person um so it's the game literally kicks off from from when you're born and as i said every time you blink it transports you forward in time um it's it works really well it you know i always think of gimmicks like this i, I think of the wii you know i go to like <laughs> oh yeah it's full motion controls when it's really not and you're just fucking flicking your wrist or whatever yeah um but it works and, you know, the, the the game cues you up for success. It doesn't set you up for failure in terms of like it's not going to work. And it kind of teaches you the moments and 
and how to intimately do it at the times that it needs to be done to really progress things. Um, I don't want to mm. obviously go into spoiler territory, but you know, there's uh, it's a beautifully told story that the the way it is again, it doesn't break new ground, but I think as an experience, um, the forty to sixty minutes that I had with it was absolutely like profound to a certain degree. Cool. Um, I I for one cried right through the last ten minutes of it um, mm. as everything kind of to started to come together, um, but highly highly recommend it was one of the the better gaming experiences um that i've had in uh, god knows actually maybe oh, no, what really? we're going to talk about today i bet i bet, I bet you must be a, you must have been aware of your blinking for like a couple of hours after you played it if you if you played a game that where you were blinking for 60 minutes you must yeah, be like hyper aware <laughs> to, to a certain degree yes you know it's what i liked is i never felt cheated out of when i blinked and when i didn't blink it does a really good job at making you feel like you did miss certain moments which you know to a certain degree means you're attached to what's actually going on but the key story elements it uh, again right i can't i i I don't want to ruin it but it kind of makes sure that you don't miss them so as in it'll 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 prompt you it doesn't take the piss in terms of keeping your fucking eyes open for two minutes. You know what I mean? Like it, it doesn't cheat you in that yeah. sense. So, so it, it's good. And like, um, you can, you know, play out certain scenes. Um, you know, there is, a, there is like an end date to that scene. Um, and it never takes the piss. So as in like, it really like respected my time and respected my blinking. <laughs> and that's not something I do. So well done video game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, sounds unreal. Really it sounds unreal it sounds like i'd love hearing about something that you know sounds completely different than anything i've ever played before so i'll definitely give it a go yeah probably um, game of the year so far then jeepers yeah um i've been playing my i played my game of the year as well actually quite really? thing, which um by the time this episode releases it won't be the zeitgeist moment uh but it is right now i played resident evil village or resident evil 8 it was my most highly anticipated game um and it for me it met my expectations there's some interesting discussions um i think it's generally pretty fucking loved online but there's inter- interesting discussions about its its strengths and weaknesses for me i adored it and before like i, I won't go into too much but for, do you know what it is it's a, a perfect nine out of ten game do you know it doesn't like reach for the stars high enough to be a 10 doesn't like change your life and you like you think about it all the time but i just like thoroughly enjoyed every minute i spent with it it's just one of those things i i don't i want to do i desperately want to do a resident evil episode so i i there's one of the main reasons why i don't want to talk about this much um i just think resident evil has become the one of the most interesting mainstream franchises right now they're in a kind of a renaissance since 2017 what i will do in talking about um resident evil 8 for a sec is compare it to what I think are the other two big Resident Evil games of the last couple of years, Resident Evil 7 and Resident Evil 2 Remake. There's also Resident Evil 3 Remake, which is really good in my opinion, but a bit a bit underwhelming. But Resident Evil 8 isn't as scary by a country mile. And there's no spaces as oppressive as like the Baker House or the RPD station in Resident Evil 2. There's no like there's no there's no bits quite as terrifying as like fighting Marguerite in Resident Evil 7, um, for anyone who's played that, that bit scared the shit out of me. 
But um, so it's a game that didn't really scare me that much. I didn't feel uncomfortable being in it like you you want to a lot with a lot of um, horror games. Mm. But um, what it is is um, really tense all the time and really consistent. Uh, Resident Evil Two and Resident Evil Seven for me both have similar problems where they have much better first halves than um, than the second halves. This is not really a problem with Resident Evil um, Eight. It took me about eleven hours, and if anything, the weakest part is the first couple hours. Um, mm. But it's just this really like it, it's just this really tense game. It has very much the DNA of Resident Evil Four mixed with kind of Resident Evil Seven, where you are kind of tr- you are exploring areas, finding keys like classic Resident Evils, but it's very actiony. And there's a merchant, and you can upgrade your guns. It has a lot of that kind of Resident Evil Four stuff brought back into it. But what yeah, it, that's what I heard about it. That it that yeah. really I I haven't played it. I will get around to it at post Mass Effect probably, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it's also something that I f- kind of feel like I want to having built a new PC from what I've heard. It's a gorgeous game, like from and everything oh, that I've yeah. seen. It looks well, super- unfortunately, unfortunately, I had to play it on PS4, so I didn't get the, the most gorgeous version of it. I don't have next gen yet, but uh, it's it, like I didn't get to appreciate the next gen graphics, but it's a beautiful looking art style. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's absolutely stunning. Um, but like in terms of just just simply in terms of what I want from a game like that, it is basic things. It did all the right things. Like like yeah, it might not be that scary, but there's bits in that when I realized I was going to have to backtrack through areas, you know, to get a key or because I have a key, and I felt it. In my gut, I was like, oh, I really didn't want to go back because I knew there was going to be nasties waiting for me. So I, I there's there's there was action sequences in it where like you know it's not too much of a spoiler to say that the main kind of enemy in this game are lichens. They're kind of like werewolves. <laughs> Uh, and there's I, like I just, it's you're taking me back to our conversation last weekend when you were like <laughs> and they ride horses I was yeah like, one of the yeah, there's, there's, there's horse there's where was riding horses in it that's one spoiler i'll get i'll give but um yeah it's a very silly game but like what i'm saying there's there's moments in it where like especially in the latter half where like a lichen would do a big roar and that means like there's another wave of enemies coming and i'd just be standing there going in my head i do not have the ammo for this and just kind of, but you have to run into the battle with blind panic and just kind of fight your way through and it was actually exhilarating absolutely mm. exhilarating and like it's and further things you know like if i open a shelf and find five shotgun shells it feels important that i find that i found five shotgun shells they're re- they're going to be really useful so it has a lot of the fundamentals of a game like that that i want a lot of people a lot of resident, yeah a lot of resident fans like you know there's hardcore mode available a lot of Resident Evil fans love playing it harder things. Uh, for my kind of humble skills, the normal difficulty of this game was kind of perfect. I didn't die much, but I was tense throughout the whole time. I was worrying about ammo. And yeah, man, game my game of the year, it exceeded my expectations. Um, I want to play it again. It's batshit ins- yeah. bat insane, even in comparison to other Resident Evil games. And what I will say is if you've only look- looked at the stuff they released beforehand, a lot of the werewolves, um, the memed vampire lady the big busty vampire lady that's lady really only, yeah they really want to scratch the surface of what the content is actually in the game there's a lot of what i will say to you to whet your appetite is that there is a metal gear solid team of bad guys metal gear solid type team of bad guys it's very silly yeah <laughs> i think actually i think what you know obviously we want to speak about final fantasy 7 today but you know as big resident evil fans and having just finished resident evil 2 uh the remake what actually most interested me about Resident Evil 8 is hearing, you know, last year how the Capcom development team had, it was a side team who had created this spin off game that was so good that they actually retrofitted it 
for Resident Evil 8. And they were like, oh, we, yeah. this is like almost too good not to make a like mainstream yeah. entry. And One then, the- and but the way it veers in terms of having lichens and having uh, kind of like witches and th- that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, kind of you know, vampire ladies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For sure. Is so kind of to a certain degree goes against the grain of what you expect of zombie Resident Evil. And that really caught my attention. Definitely. It's, uh, it's Resident Evil is a franchise that's reinvented itself before. And this isn't as big a reinvention as seven was. It's not as exciting. It doesn't do as exciting things, but um, it's, yeah, it's definitely, they've gone in new dire- directions in terms of the aesthetics and the, and the enemies and the content. So yeah, my game of the year so far, we'll see if anything beats it. Yeah. I'm looking forward that's to playing it. Yeah. But we are here to talk about um, Final Fantasy VII. The most Final Fantasy of Final Fantasy games. I have a little <laughs> bit of data before we jump into it. Um, didn't really go all out this time. Final Fantasy VII, um, sure, many people know, is a 1997 role-playing video game developed by Square for the PlayStation console. It is the seventh main installment in the Final Fantasy series, um, but it was actually the fourth one in America, the first of the main series, and it was actually the first one in Europe. People often forget that that was our first one. We didn't have a chance to play previous Final Fantasy games. It was the first really? one to ever come out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it was um, the fourth. Like, uh, Yeah, we'll get into all this. I apologize. Um, you blow my mind. Sorry. Yeah, you've blown my mind. Yeah. And um, we are not only talking about Final Fantasy VII. We're also going to talk about Final Fantasy VII Remake, which is a 2020 action role-playing game uh, developed by Square Enix. And it is the first in a planned series of games remaking Final Fantasy VII. So that's the important part. That it's not a full remake of Final Fantasy VII. It adapts an early chapter um so own like just to start off i don't know i i I do know you grew up with this game but um just to start off i have to say that my relationship with final fantasy 7 is that it was at a time in my life the most important thing i was nine years old when this game came out and i like it was my brother who played it first and i remember watching him play it i remember the first like minute of the game and the screen goes and then you're going through a menu and you're you're selecting attack and then your guy with a big sword and i was like what is this i i don't <laughs> i want to be sonic the hedgehog jumping on robots but um yeah and i eventually after watching i watched him play a lot of that game before because i you know as a nine-year-old there was some games like mm-hmm. you know go back to resident evil there was just some games where i was just like those are my brother's games i cannot play them but eventually I was just like, I need to play this game myself because I'm obsessed with the characters. I'm obsessed with the story. Just watch my brother. And it was, it was like one of those lightning in a bottle, good timing moments for a lot of people around our age where there hadn't been a game like it. Like I just said, this was the first Final Fantasy game in Europe. This was the first big mainstream JRPG. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I had never seen a game so long and story driven. I didn't know games could be these big epics so for years and years Final Fantasy 7 was my absolute favorite game of all time it was hugely influential in me growing up it actually got me like I didn't know what anime was before Final Fantasy 7 I certainly didn't know what JRPGs were um this is my first big sorted anime character with um spiky hair but even beyond that Final Fantasy 7 got me reading books I didn't read books before that I got me into stories that got me like this was whatever I feel about it now as an adult it was just perfect timing to come into my life and it kind of a lot of things kind of you know came out of it Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I completely share your sentiment, Liam. You know, I I don't think I can understate how important um, Final Fantasy VII was for me growing up as well. But maybe my path to it was a bit different than yours. Two things that I'm going to you know call out. 
One is going back to uh, game the video game store on Cruiser Street in Limerick City. I <laughs> I remember, no, but I remember the day, and uh, I remember the day that I went in with my dad. I went in with my brother. We generally go in every single weekend into town, and you know, part of the thing was we'd ma- we'd maybe get a game once a month, m- maybe every other week. And I remember going in, and this was at the time. I remember the front left hand side of the store was dedicated to PC games and. It was at the time where, and I don't know if you remember, where PC games used to come in like seven by eleven inch boxes, they rather like than boxes. The, like yeah, they were like <laughs> shoe boxes instead of like the actual DVD cases that we have now. So there were these huge things, and used I remember to take up being, half of a game store as well, didn't they? Yeah, it was like absolutely outrageous, and what a waste of cardboard and resources and sustainability. And yeah, but I remember <laughs> exactly. I remember going in there and I remember um, we had just got a Gateway 2000 PC. So like top of the line PC for the time. And my my father was speaking to one of the sales assistants there. And obviously the dude was uh, a big gamer, big PC gamer. So I didn't actually have it on. I didn't have Final Fantasy 7 on PlayStation. I had it on PC. And yeah. he, he, I remember him explaining the game to my dad. And it's funny, right? All the things that you say about like what captured it for you in terms of, you know, some visuals, a story, um, how cinematic this thing was that it just grabs the attention. That's how he sold it to my dad. Yeah. He's like, there, you know, this, this game is like, it's revolutionary in its approach to video games, right? It's like, he's like, nothing nothing has been created that is cinematically as intense the visuals are unrivaled for the time is like you 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 need to buy this for your son obviously um so and i remember <laughs> exact same as you man i remember going home and i it's is you know as clear as yesterday i remember having my my pc in the corner and i had experienced nothing like that in the realm of video games i think i had i had some exposure to the world of anime um thank you guyver who i grew up on my my favorite i i I had guyver as a child as well like any growing boy should but i think guyver came after final fantasy 7 i do well in terms of like me having it on vhs um if anyone wants to know what guyver the anime is that's what um episode 12 of halo listen is going to be about so everyone look forward to that (laughs) no no but yeah i don't i (laughs) I don't know I must look the, that up. I know there was two I series, was think- but I remember having it in my house around that same time. So I was just thinking, like it's like anime that I would have got into, like the the Pokemon cartoon, everything that would have been like my, you know, my seminal anime growing up. That was all after Final Fantasy VII. I, do, I like anime is not the main thing <laughs> Final Fantasy VII got me into, but I'm just saying oh, it's no, I, I do think it all. I do think seven came before it. In my house, anyway. Know, but the bio boosted armor series. Sorry, we're totally getting off topic here. Um, <laughs> is eighty nine to ninety two. Yeah, but when did it come out in Ireland on VHS? That's what I'm saying. Remember that uh, we're very localized audience here. Remember that store Japan that was across the road from Arthur's Key? Those guys yeah. would actually bring bring in the VHSs uh, yeah. whenever they were localized. Anyway, um, I wish I wish Marcy I had, was I here so to stop us from fighting about anime. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, I I remember this game like it was yesterday, and man, the the. I will go as far as saying and this is a bold statement, and I think it's just a good statement to, to kind of start the conversation um, about it. Is Final Fantasy VII to me is 
almost as relevant as Star Wars is to movies. Easily. Um, And as a child who was too young to ever see Star Wars, you know, when it came out, but, you know, they're shit on now. Um, I got to see all the Star Wars remakes in the cinema during the 90s, you know, the you know, the ones that are kind of hated now because yep. they have the extra CGI. So I was a huge Star Wars fan because of that. I had um, these Star Wars CD-ROMs that could have told you about the whole world. I was a big, huge uh, nerd for Star Wars as a kid. Um, didn't even rival how much of a nerd I was for Final Fantasy VII, how, much, how important it was to me. Like, it was way bigger than any movie franchise I'd ever seen in terms of, you know, my kind of, um, how much I adored it. Mm-hmm. So t- tell me then, Liam, in terms of, even to this day, you know, original Final Fantasy VII, what are like top three things that really do stand out to you and make it? Is, well, actually, first of all, is it your favorite Final Fantasy? Um, it, it, you know, you, you can answer this question with your heart and with your head. And I think in my heart, it is just because of discovering it and, you know, the, how much I loved it. But I don't think it is, no. Actually, you know, if I was really going with my head, I really don't think it's the best Final Fantasy game. But in terms of, um, I have three Final Fantasy games that I kind of, I don't, I don't really mind what order they're in. Um, and seven is one of them. The other two are Final Fantasy six and Final Fantasy nine. And I think, you know, depending on when you ask me right now, I actually think Final Fantasy nine is my favorite Final Fantasy game. I, I replayed it last year. And I replayed it last year and it actually just kind of made me realize, you know, this is kind of everything I want out of the genre personally, but we're not going to talk about Final Fantasy nine. <laughs> but, um, one of the main things about Final Fantasy VII um, for me, and, and it's going to be very important in terms of because we're going to be talking about the remake as well, is Final Fantasy VII has one of gaming's best opening few hours. It, like, and it has the best opening few hours of any Final Fantasy game as well. The, so this game opens, uh, you, you're playing as a stoic uh, mercenary named Cloud who's working for a group of eco-terrorists called Avalanche. Um, blowing up reactors because bad guys sucking life out of the planet. I'm sure most people listening to this know, but if you don't, that's what's going on. But um, the important thing is the first few hours of the game are all set within this city called Midgar. And uh, Midgar, for me, is one of the, the, the best gaming locations ever. Um, it is the city that has uh, an upper layer of rich people and a, a lower layer of slums where poor people live and there, there's no sunlight because they're underneath a plate that's, that separates the two cities. And I think What's what, what's very notable about Final Fantasy VII now in terms of game design is that how kind of um, much is packed into Midgar in it. Like, I, I, people tend to think that's 10 to 15 hours, but I would say 5 to 7 if you're hanging around and if you kind of know what you're doing, 4, 4 hours. It's mm-hmm. a very short portion of the game in comparison to the amount of time. You spend 4 hours... Um, you spend four hours like beginning Ghost of Tsushima or something like that before you get the story going, you know, these days. And there was a big game these days. But the amount of memorable things in those first few hours, you know, the opening bombing mission, you know, meeting your childhood friend Tifa at the bar, uh, the wall market where you have to dress up as a woman, all these bits. And it's just, it's, it's just all these set pieces, I think. And as a child, that was almost too much. It was amazing. Like it had, it had all these big set piece action moments. It had quiet character moments. I'd never seen a, car- a quiet character moment in a in a game before. I didn't know what a quiet character moment was. I couldn't conceptualize it. But it was just kind of just roller coaster for for first few hours. But re- as an adult, it's actually still really refreshing how much that game doesn't dwell. Here's forty minutes of a memorable moment. Here's another forty minutes of a memorable moment. And I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think it's one of the strongest things about Final Fantasy VII and one of the things, you know, I would 
compared to other Final Fantasy games and say it, it still does it better. Those opening few hours, man, they're so yeah, good. I, yeah, I, I hundred percent agree. And you know, it's an iconic opening, right? It, from even from Cloud, and, and the way that he introduces himself into that world and into that game by essentially doing a side somersault off a See, train. You have to. You have to. <laughs> it's the only way to do it. Do you know how many times I've attempted that now just to you know be as cool? Anyway, three. <laughs> <Seven. Yeah. laughs> um, but but you are correct. It's it's what it does really well is it, it packs, as you said, right? It packs in these big big set pieces that are then interjected with the small character moments that really build a couple of things. One is potentially unrivaled maybe apart from you know things like what naughty dog is doing um in terms of character depth um and the lore building of what Mm. it's actually doing for that world so i I, you know i would i would say that a lot of the socio-political commentary of that game probably went over my head as a child but having played it recently both the the original and the remake I was actually able to appreciate it on a whole whole new level. But you were correct in saying how the pacing is, is just like within Midgar alone. And Liam, I do agree. It's having played it again and I hung around. Um, I think it was like seven hours because I remember saying to myself, like, how the hell for the, the remake are they going to turn seven hours into a supposedly 30 to 50 hour game? Mm-hmm. But everything within Midgar is so realized that to even think that there's game beyond Midgar and that's why partly why Final Fantasy 7 is so beautiful because of almost the juxtaposition between the world of Midgar and what the evil corporation Shinra and the type of infrastructure that they've set up there compared to the rest of the world is you're 100% correct in saying it's probably one of the great if not the greatest uh, locations in video games yeah and uh, yeah, to to focus on that moment, like I don't want to spend this whole podcast comparing Final Fantasy VII to other Final Fantasies, but I always um I always tend to stick up for it. You, f- you feel like people don't need to stick up for Final Fantasy VII; it's one of the most beloved games ever. But I always hate how people in you know whenever talking about not only other Final Fantasies online or other RPGs, they often have to feel the need to kind of say like, "Yo, this is Final Fantasy is the popular one. Final Fantasy VII is the popular one. This game is so much better." So I always like to focus on the things that it does well. And I think no other Final Fantasy game in all 15 plus all the 30 spinoffs have ever done a moment as story beat as effective than getting out of Midgar in Final Fantasy VII and suddenly being in a massive green open field, mm-hmm. a big huge world map. And you have a map in the left corner that is literally a world. There's continents. Now, if you're playing in Japan or America, um, or maybe some other people you play. There's probably some JRPGs like that were out in Ireland that we never played for the Mega Drive or the SNES or something like that that weren't Final Fantasy. But for someone, a kid like me who was who didn't know the tropes of a JRPG, didn't know that there was going to be a world map. I thought the whole game was going to be based in Midgar. I thought this was the setting. So to get mm-hmm. out of there and suddenly be in this huge open green world uh, with a map in the corner that showed other continents on it, and it just felt impossibly large. And I, I think as as much as I, I, I but big up that moment as like a really effective bit of storytelling for the game itself. I do think it's just a, my childhood nostalgia. Definitely. Like it makes it even bigger because I didn't know this was going to be a thing. Yeah. That's that's that's, such an amazing moment. Actually. You know, and I, 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 I agree. I, I think 
you know, if this were a movie and, you know, uh, this would be the, the point on which the first movie ends and you get the the second in the trilogy. Or the first remake ends. <laughs> pretty, pretty apt. <laughs> Fucking, um, I didn't want uh, to ruin it. I didn't want to ruin it at this point. But, but you're, but you're, yeah. but you're correct. You know, you're you're coming from the SNES era, where you know probably it might have been a technical limitation at the time. I'm sure they wanted to do these massive worlds in top-down 2D. But what the 3D and that technical prowess of the PlayStation and the PC allowed was to create this massive world in Midgar and then have everything else surrounding, which are probably more traditional JRPG-type towns and cities. Yeah, I I wouldn't ever um, poo-poo on on previous Final Fantasies for not equaling the epicness of Final Fantasy VII. Like, for for anyone anyone listening, just, uh, just to interject for a moment, interject myself... Who's a huge fan of Final Fantasy VII? Maybe who's around our age has played other Final Fantasies, but has never gone before that. You gotta play Final Fantasy VI, if nothing else. Final Fantasy VI is like an absolute masterpiece. I think a lot of the things Final Fantasy VII does well in terms of its storytelling and its epicness. I actually think VI is actually better, to be honest. Like, there's a uh, VI has a lot more feathers in its cap. But you're right in terms of um, utilizing the brand new console, the PlayStation. To you know, seven isn't just going to a town and then the next town looks exactly the same of it. Same as it. It has all these like after Midgar, everywhere you go is completely unique. It's it, and it's almost to the point where the world doesn't feel cohesive. But it doesn't matter because there's so many ideas. You go to a gigantic golden amusement park. You go to this kind of uh, city with a giant cannon attached to it oh <laughs> and stuff God, like that. There's just so much creativity in it. But in terms of um, the epic scope you were talking about, um, I think other JRPGs before it um, can can match it. But what they couldn't match, and I think one of the reasons why it was so successful, is like, do you remember um, the ad advertising campaigns for Final Fantasy VII? By any chance, like the trailers? If you go back way into the nineties, I don't think any of them showed gameplay at all. I'm <laughs> yes. pretty sure they were all super <laughs> anime. FMVC. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like when I saw my brother play that game and he was going through a menu and selecting attack or a magic to attack enemies, I'd never seen that because in the trailers, they very cleverly, but maybe some sneakily, just showed the FMV cutscenes, which were top of the range at the time. This was kind of like, oh my god, don't show them the numbers. Show them, show them these amazing enemies. Show them Cloud on a on a motorbike, uh, fucking flying onto a highway and stuff like that. So that's another thing. Um, like it's, it's all very quaint now on the PlayStation One, but um. Final Fantasy VII as every now and then just stopping and becoming basically a, at the time top of the range CGI movie was I'd never seen anything like it. I started looking forward to those moments in the game. They were like big. They felt huge. They, the graphics got better whenever the, the, the story hit its big moments, and then they turned into F and V. That was incredible for me. Yeah, and following on from that, actually, it set the precedence of what was to come next. Right, I always remember um, Final Fantasy VIII. When you're on your first uh, seed mission, and you're you're there was something in the invasion on the beach, and I always remember being like, "Oh, this is the evolution of Final Fantasy VII." Yeah. Like, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I think um, to talk about Final Fantasy for one moment, that the best usage of FMVs ever in a Final Fantasy game, and the best uses of using better graphics to tell one moment in a story was the dance scene from Final Fantasy VIII. 
Mm. which is a quiet character moment of two main characters meeting for the first time and having a dance. But yeah, so I actually don't want to talk just about like Midgar in the, in the early games, but um, there's something about Final Fantasy VII that um, struck me recently because my girlfriend was actually playing it recently. Uh, she didn't play all of it, but uh, it, was just, it was during lockdown. I, I kind of played it with her. I was watching her play. She did a lot of disc one. And she was loved it. She like she loved all those things I was just saying there about how you know the pacing was so quick and you know I was moving on. And even though the, you know the translation in that game isn't fantastic, it was nineteen ninety seven. English translations from Japanese games weren't stellar back then. But you know she still enjoyed all the characters. But oh, she did not like equipping materia. Really? Yeah. Do you have any like materia love or hate? Um, I actually like it, and Me too. I'll tell you why I like it. <laughs> I it's. Materia, which is, you know, the easiest way to say it for for those who haven't played Final Fantasy VII, it's like, it's those are your magic spells. And uh, that's how you shoot thunder and fire and ice. But Materia had its own lore within, within that game. And I've often spoken about how one thing that attracts me to video games and the video games that I enjoy the most are those that have a really strong story. And how Materia was integrated into the lore and the story of Final Fantasy VII with it being essentially um, really condensed and materialized version of the li- of the life's Earth. Or Earth's yeah. life, should I say. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. In layman's um, terms, something very silly in anime. <laughs> essentially, <laughs> if you could take the Force from Star Wars and then condense it into something physical, that then gave you powers. My God, you know what I mean? You, you, you didn't necessarily need to be a Jedi. <laughs> yeah, but you didn't necessarily need to be a Jedi to use the powers. Um, and then you could, what I really like about it is like, you could commoditize that in the world of Final Fantasy. So it, the materia itself was a character for me. So it wasn't, you know, and I think a perfect example to show my love is how I kind of fell out of love with magic in the Final Fantasy series in 8, where you just drew it from certain points in the game that you'd walk up to a um uh, an item and you could draw you know 10 uses of thunder or you could draw um uh, magic from enemies when you were battling them and it didn't feel special but materia felt special in the game to me so mm-hmm. it heightened the experience of one using magic and two it fucking looked unreal at the time if i'm being completely mm-hmm. honest i had never seen anything like that and it felt super powerful doing it um and it was it was varied right so the like the types of materia was completely varied and i loved the idea of you need to level them up i loved that mm-hmm. idea it was it was like it was like a miniature pokemon game for the time like you know it it was okay I'm leveling up my character and I'm and I'm and I'm grinding and I'm making it more powerful, but I love the idea of making all of my materia more powerful as well. Yeah, no, my girlfriend Fiona now, she's a it wasn't her first year, but she's like a Pokemon expert. She's played a lot of them. The main thing she didn't like about it was how often you'd have to go into your menu to fiddle with materia. You can equip it to your swords and to your armor in it. And like Owen said, depending on, you know, what material you have equipped, you can use different magic, but there's also, you can link two materials together and stuff like that. What that did for me as a nine-year-old, and I remember having my brother teach it to me, it just changed something in my brain where I just started loving fiddling around in menus in video games for the rest of my life. Like to the point where 
remember when the Final Fantasy VII remake was coming out and they were showing off images on the official website. I was actually just like, oh my God, they've released images of the menu of Final Fantasy VII remake. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it was exciting to me. I just, I don't know. I understand the, the kind of the criticism. Um, but those are like there. quality of life things, aren't they, Liam? Like that over time, like everything has become so, um, it's so quick and easy. Menu systems, like it's it almost it's almost part of the review score now that if you don't have an easy, um, for like RPGs in general, if you don't have a way to go through your inventory really quickly, like, you know, you'll be marked down X amount. Like it has to be quick and easy now. Yeah, and I, I don't know. <laughs> There's something about it. I just like going in there and equip material. I still think uh, the materia is one of the best systems Final Fantasy ever did. If one of the easiest ones and e- most easily mastered ones, you can become quite powerful in that game quite easily if you know what you're doing. So and I think necessarily that's criticism, like just that. an observation. Yeah. Were you good? Yeah. At, were you good at the game, Dolim? I don't think not, I was very good when I was a kid. Absolutely yeah. not. Jesus, no. Yeah, I remember my brother coming in and going, uh, looking at my materia setup and goes like, there's, there's a material called all materia. And all that does is if you connect it to another materia, it means you attack, you, if you ta- attach it to fire, you use fire in all the enemies instead of just one enemy. And he was like, you don't have all attached to anything. It's not doing anything. And I was just like, I don't care. It's blue. I want it on this one. And just, so no, I, <laughs> no, absolutely. I did not have the brain yet to play fucking Final Fantasy properly. But uh, yeah, I, I remember, I remember my, co- my cousins were big into it and how far ahead they were in terms of man when you're a 10 year old and you see someone's save file and their characters are at level 99 whoa like (laughs) i I, oh my god even to this day even to this day i'm blown away i think there's almost like final fantasy 7 is a huge game and like i said it's not only just huge. It's, you know, it's not huge, huge in modern standards. What's in 30, 40, 40 hours maybe. But um, but more so than that, it's just so varied. There's so many things to do. And it's at a point where I don't think we could ever you know, cover it all in this podcast as much. I'd love to talk about things. But I think if we start talking maybe about the remake, we might actually end up covering more stuff about the first one and vice versa. I don't think we need yeah. to kind of, you know, hold back a little bit. So you played it recently. I played it during... Um, I'll always remember it on as I hate talking about this thing on this podcast, but it was the kind of game that came out in the early confusing time of COVID. I was just like, oh my God, what, what is happening? I'll always remember it as like my big COVID game. It came out in March or April, maybe. And I wasn't looking, I was I was looking forward to the idea of a Final Fantasy VII remake, but modern age Square Enix are not reliable in terms i've said this in the podcast before in terms of when they're going to release something so it was announced like five years before but when it you know when i knew it was coming out in march i just started looking forward to it so much and just worked really simply did you like it (laughs) (laughs) i man i fucking swooned over this game yeah like i it it, and it's very hard to 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 like, I don't know if it's because, eh, fuck it, it is. It's because I had the nostalgia rose-tinted glasses on. Mm. Because there were so many elements that were uh, elevated. And it, it's, very, it's very basic things, such as the intro sequence, when you go from like a MIDI soundtrack to a full orchestrated version. Mm. Man, like there was tears in my eyes yeah. going through that opening sequence. 
that's another thing that's so like important about Final Fantasy VII is the soundtrack. Um, actually, I used to own the soundtrack. My brother, I think, bought the soundtrack when when other kids were like, uh, you know, getting into bands and, and getting their musical taste. I was like listening to the Final Fantasy VII soundtrack. I used to love it. Look at this Three composer, Dubomato. Yeah, oh, my oh God, you, yeah, no, no jokes. Uh, I used to go on like LimeWire and download MIDI versions of like um, tracks from other Final Fantasies because I didn't have soundtracks for those. But that's embarrassing. I'm not talking about. I I I want to bring up a soundtrack because seven, like for me and for a lot of people and for you, all the elements of them are so iconic and important. So yeah, like hearing the music in the new one as like you know full orchestra, seeing these characters realized, um, in in much better graphics. But like the most important thing for me was, if people don't know, we just went on about Midgar in the first like five hours or so of the first one. What this one did was it didn't remake the entire game it remade that midgar section into a big 40 hour or so game and i think i was one of the only people in the world when that was announced so i was like some trepidation but i was like cool midgar is like one of the best areas ever in a video game this could be really interesting like i still think it's a bit weird that they're going to release this episodically when are we going to get the full story but playing that game and seeing midgar realized as well as it was, was absolutely amazing. The biggest compliment I'll ever give it is that there were several points where I just stood and moved the right analog stick to look around. It was in terms of art direction, in terms of, you know, imagining what it would be like, because the PlayStation 1 has a, uh, had a great graphics for its time, but it's little little chunky boys and pre-rendered drawn backgrounds. Yeah, And you can't see the sky um, in... in Final Fantasy VII, so they could say that there's a big plate above everyone's head, but they didn't actually have to realize it. So to realize it in a big interactive environment, I thought they absolutely nailed it, and I was floored in a way that I've rarely been, maybe because it's so important to my childhood, just being in Final Fantasy VII. I love games, I don't. I love just being in games, but Final Fantasy VII Remake was absolutely astounding for me. And I think, you know, you're touching it perfectly, right? It's like, it was a, there one that we were in it but two that there was a sense of being and they're kind of two different things um like you almost forgive the faults of yes. the game because you were able to actually be in the game so like you know i i swooned to a certain degree of like oh man i know i'm sick of fucking doing these tasks of finding cats and finding children <laughs> and battling these enemies again and again and they're a bit re- repetitious but at the same time, Definitely. it's like, man, it's like I get I get to go through this marketplace again, and I oh I didn't discover this, and there's this store that there's this music playing out of, and I can get this virtual vinyl disc in the game, and I'm just going to sit here and listen to yeah. that on on record. And it's and, like a jazzy cover of an old track from the original exactly. Final Fantasy VII or something like that. Yeah, and like Liam, I you know, I you know I think we understate actually. Square Enix to a certain degree and how they fucked around fans with the Final Fantasy 7 remake because I don't know if you remember but it was all the way back in 2005 when they were showing off the PlayStation 3 that they did the fucking Final Fantasy tech demo which was essentially you know a capability of power for the PlayStation 3 and they showed it at like uh, the an E3 event I think it was and it sent 
everyone into a craze of like holy shit <laughs> you know this is like and again right it's like star wars is coming back it's like they're doing the new trilogy it's that type of hype within yeah yeah within, yeah within video game fans um and then to let people know who don't have history of any of it 10 years later is when it was 10 or nine years later it was a playstation experience i fucking remember it man what they did was place our final fantasy 7 is coming to the playstation 4 and this is it you know this is like tim cook being on stage for apple announcing an iphone and mm. the you know one of the producers from uh, um square enix is on stage and he says final fantasy 7 is coming to playstation 4 and what they had done is they had ported the pc version <laughs> to the playstation 4 which is from 1997, you know. <laughs> Which is from and, anyone who cared had played 50 times in their life already. And apparently, the fucking the Final Fantasy VII PC port is totally broken compared to the PlayStation one. So they ported <laughs> to the actual. It, look, it, it looks slightly. It looks slightly better. The graphics are slightly sharper, though. <laughs> exactly. So then there was massive outrage, and I remember there was like, it's the only point where you know you could argue that sometimes that. I think some of the worst toxicity in terms of fan groups, Star Wars is fucking by far and away the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, but if there was a point in time where video game fans ha- could have a voice and be that toxic, <laughs> that would be the point. I would be, I'd be in the crowd just fucking booing, to be honest with you. But it was the next year that I, I believe it was next year, a year and a half later. And I, I just love the development of this game and actually how well it turned out in all fairness is kind of a miracle. Shocking. Yeah. Like yeah. a year later, a year later is when they announced the remake. And the the story goes that uh Tetsuya Yamuno, the, the producer of the game. Uh, Nomura. Nomura. Yeah. Was like but backstage during an E3 Pest conference, or it was PlayStation Experience, I forget which one, and they showed the trailer for the final fantasy 7 remake the remake everyone loses their shit and the stinger being the credits and tetsuyo didn't know that he was making the game and he was listed <laughs> as producer on the game yeah he was like embroiled in kingdom hearts 3 i think is correct right he was like what <laughs> he was like oh, i guess i'm doing this now <laughs> Yeah, it was real. It was real. Just knee jerk reaction. It was like, oh, I, when they, when they fucked up so early, it made them realize because you know, fucking squaring squaring can be the fucking dumbest fucking developer sometimes. But they realized, like, oh my god, people really do care about this. Maybe we should do it. Yeah, and like, and, and you know, we talk about it turning out so well. You know, one, it was released. The the first, that initial trailer was released super super early, as a lot of things are these days. Yeah, the developers behind the latest Dragon Ball games. Um, were actually i forget their names but they were originally developing it and then production wasn't going well so then it transferred over in-house to yeah to square enix so they took it over and then it took another two and a half three years so to actually to, yeah. yeah to actually get to the point of it being released is somewhat of a miracle yeah and i think the two main controversial things about it are we kind of covered this, but it only covers the first few hours of Final Fantasy VII, so it's technically Final Fantasy VII Remake Part 1. And, um, you know, I don't mind that. I, now that I've played it, I don't mind it for sure. The other thing was that there's no more turn-based combat, is that it's, it's more of an action game now. So rather than cycling through menus and choosing your attack and then choosing your enemy, you're now controlling Cloud and Tifa and Barrett and all, all, all them characters. But I think um, 
Square Enix have been trying to fight against turn-based, com- turn- turn-based combat for a long time now. They they seem to be, especially with their main franchise, seem to be very interested in doing um, more action games. Uh, Kingdom Hearts, obviously, um, Final Fantasy fifteen, full-on action combat. But I think this is what was so good about the Final Fantasy VII combat was I think they managed it for the, like, they've been trying to do this for so long and this is the first time they absolutely nailed it. Yeah. In finding the balance between feelings of a turn-based battle system and a real-time kind of devil may cry almost type combat system i really felt like they like in a, in a really good boss fight in that game they kind of captured the feeling of both genres at the same time just explain it like very briefly you're running around and you have to press a button to attack and you and uh, and you're dodging enemy attacks and it's all very fast-paced and action but you can pause the game you can build up a bar when your bar is full you pause the game you have to choose your action from a menu so it really is both of them smashed together and i actually think it's one of the best things about Final Fantasy VII Remake. I think it had, a, it had an awesome battle system. I thought they absolutely nailed it. I thought it was yeah, I, like really riveting, really challenging as well. It was challenging, and I, I completely agree. You know, I maybe controversially, Liam, I really... I think the big switch, that first switch to a lot of action base was maybe 13. And I we remember... still going through a menu in that, though. Do you know yeah, what I mean? It yeah. was very different, though. It was, it was kind of... I'm not gonna say dumb down. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go against all those thirteen fans. It was just different. It, it was it definitely yeah. still turn. Yeah, I yeah. and I enjoyed that battle system a lot. To be completely honest, and I thought that 15s was super fun. But I think where they struck gold, to be completely honest with you, is your autonomy over the non-playable characters during a battle scene. And I think you know a lot of what you were doing as a player was you know, button mashing to a certain degree, but the strategic nature that you had over how the other two players in your party contributed to that battle and how you control them at certain times really made it feel more strategic than uh, what what they've accomplished before with something like 15 and, and 13. And how all the characters, like, controlled differently, you know, like um, being Cloud with his massive sword was much different from Tifa, who could string combos together and Aerith, who was more of a healer, and Bard, who was a long-range attacker and stuff like that. But even outside of the combat, there was things in that game that I loved that I wouldn't expect to love that they got right. Because in my opinion, Square have been getting wrong for the last decade plus. I, I, Jesus, probably longer than I want to kind Since of think of. Parasite Eve 2. <laughs> I've never played a Parasite Eve. I would love to. Any... Uh, Hey, look, listen, fans out there, want to send me a copy of Parasite Eve? I would, I would love to play. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, small things, okay? So there's a YouTuber I really like. Um, uh, shout out to a guy who has a much bigger platform than us and doesn't need a platform, uh, doesn't need a shout out. Uh, Tim Rogers, Action Button um, is his YouTube channel. He, I'm not going to, he did a three hour long video on, on Final Fantasy VII Remake, but there's one thing. He put war. He put words to something I've been feeling about JRPGs for a long time. Where in Final Fantasy VI, okay, you get to an opera house, and the game becomes this bizarre set piece where one of your main characters has to pretend to be an opera singer and go up stage, has to learn lines, and they wrote a whole opera for this section of the game. They wrote that they wrote it, they put it into the score. It's just like six minute long SNES era like score. It was this whole thing that was happening it was all very emotional then there's this other the other characters are in the audience and then one realizes that an enemy is going to drop a, a thing on her and it's all like suddenly becomes very whimsical 
But the point is that in that whole section, you're not battling. You're not getting any EXP until you fight a boss at the end of it, whatever. You're not getting. You're not battling. You're you're not buying items from a store or anything like that. So the game has basically stopped to just tell a story for a little while, and Final Fantasy VII does that amazingly. Like the like the bit in the wall market at the beginning, where you have you like you're you're in there for about an hour and you have to wander around and figure out how to um, get into this guy called Don Corneo's mansion. And it turns out you have to dress your main character up as a woman, and it's just a bit of storytelling. It's it builds character. Um, I used to love those moments um, as a kid. I always feel like if you're like gearing up to play a game like this, you have the time. You don't need to be constantly like you don't have to have that mercenary attitude of like, oh, I'm not battling or I'm not, you know, I'm not in my menu equip my material. I'm not leveling up. I, you know, the, the, the thing slowing down to tell a story is like one of the joys of the genre. And Final Fantasy and RPGs did that a lot, but then they stopped doing it. They definitely stopped doing it. I think something like 13 is so very kind of like you can get cutscenes in it, but other than that, it's like you're either running around kind of a dungeon type area fighting enemies or you're you're in your menu or something like that. The Final Fantasy VII remake has them up to wazoo of just like, okay, here's like, here's just a mood. Here's like, here's a story segment. We're going to stop. You don't have to worry about it for a while. Now it has a lot of bad habits that, <laughs> that JRPGs and RPGs in general have gotten the last, the last since Final Fantasy seven. Like I always, like you, you mentioned like being in beautiful Midgar and like attacking dog, like hunting dogs. It has like, it has these side quests that feels so sacrilegious to be doing in it. Like in Midgar, there's are just so basic and so boring. But I, I'll take him because I appreciate how that game is recreates its story-driven moments from the original and usually dials them up to 11. It's usually its attitude towards like making them just much longer. But you're just kind of there and, you know, hanging out in the game, so to speak. No, you're, you're completely right. And you've touched on a, an amazing point, to be completely honest with you, which is the, you can tell it was made by people who loved the original. You know, and they re- they really honed in on the points that struck an emotional chord with us the first time that we played that game, and it was it was scenes and it was quests like, um, you know, the cross dressing. Which, in all fairness, <laughs> but it was it was so funny, right? Because even yeah. I I remember the build up to this game. It was one of the things that everyone was talking about. Is like, how are they going to handle this? Well, I didn't think I always, I kind of just thought Square Enix were just kind of modern Square Enix are just too much kind of, you know, not fun sour puzzles to like mm-hmm. put that bit in the game. But yeah, but not only did they put it in, it's... Yeah, they, like, it was actually <laughs> ridiculous. It was, it was way beyond, way beyond what was in the original because, the, you know, the, the tasks that you need to do to actually acquire the items that you need to dress up as a girl, you know, uh, and, you know, the gym scene always sticks out where you have to do a squat competition against the bodybuilder. It's just... It's one of those beautiful moments, um, not from a visual standpoint, but it was it was it, you're taking Cloud, this character who's why, well, you know, all intents and purposes is, you know, he's a bit of a introverted, proud person who wants to succeed, but fails. Therefore, he's quiet. You know what I mean? And you've got you take so him, much angst. Exactly. So you take him out of his comfort zone by one, dressing up as a woman, and then two, what he needs to do to get those items. And, and you're putting him in all of these scenarios that, Liam, you're completely correct. And what I love is in those moments, your companion character is commenting on how ridiculous it is. 
Yeah. And and Cloud and and your side character having that back and forth where he knows and he doesn't want to do anything that you're doing and he hates it, but he <laughs> knows that he has to do it. And it's those moments that are just so beautiful and so real, well realized as well as the world. Well, I, I've managed to slide it in, I think, a couple of times just doing episodes about completely different topics. I don't know, I don't know what we we're talking about but when I managed to just bring up Final Fantasy VII whenever I can. But um, Squaresoft, Square Enix, they forgot how to write these characters. They're not correct in Kingdom Hearts. They're not correct in Advent Children. It was Advent they're Children. Very, we were speaking about yeah. Advent Children. Yeah. Yes, right. Yeah, and it, 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 it's they're very simple characters, but they're just not correct. And even though the original had kind of a poor English translation, these characters still had so much more personality. Cloud went on to become, in in other media after Final Fantasy VII, just the quintessential angsty anime boy who's just like, I'm not strong enough to protect you, and all that kind of stuff, you know. Well, so well, you you touched on it there. I like that Cloud is that kind of person. He's he's just kind of self serious, kind of angsty guy. But like people take the piss out of him a lot in, in Final Fantasy VII oh, yeah. for like, and, and it's funny. Like he's not he's not placed there to be this cool anime character. He's he's how he acts is kind of <laughs> called out a lot. And like Aerith, who is my personal favorite character in Final Fantasy VII, or Aerith as we grew up with her, she was Aerith yeah, in, yeah, in, in the European in the European version of Final Fantasy VII. She um, dies in the original Final Fantasy VII, but um, so because she dies um, tragically, she became in like Kingdom Hearts and in Advent Children. Just they just wrote her as this kind of ethereal because her spirit appears and shit. They wrote her as this kind of ethereal, kind of angelic. Video games are silly, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, but that, they they forgot they forgot Aerith's entire personality just because she like died tragically. Aerith is kind of she's a fucking ball breaker. She's a bit fucking sarcastic. She's funny. Like she's constantly taking the piss out of Cloud in Final Fantasy VII remake. So just Man, seeing these characters interact, she yeah. was being fucking stalked by special agents and special <laughs> ops from an evil corporation, and she's just like meh. Like it's just it's just a normal day. But see, that's that's the thing I love. You know, Final Fantasy VII's characters are brilliant. Um, but you know that game, like we said, is very fast paced. Um, you know, kind of secretly, you kind of forget about it. So the things that they managed to like. They managed to focus on important things about these characters in the remake. Like like you said with with um with Aerith there. The way she's written is almost that she's had such a shit life, she is just being eternally optimistic to almost fight it. She's being optimistic and, you know, funny and joking because she's just if she dwells on her like her own life too much, she'll actually just, you know, almost fall apart or whatever. I just think they really wrote these characters perfectly. And how they interact with each other. Like Red 13 shows up towards the end of this game and him interacting. Like him and Barrett have like two lines with each other in the original when they're in a cell together, just kind of, you know, oh, what are you, you weird cat thing? And then they just expanded on that. And I was just like, oh my God, it's everything child me dreamed of. Look at them. Look at these characters realize. So that's another thing that surprised me. It's, it's not something I ever expected the remake to get right. And I think it's one of the things that kind of holds it up is that these characters were absolutely nailed. They're like really perfect versions of them. Yeah, I, I wholly agree. I, I think if I think if there's anyone, maybe Barrett was the one who they didn't necessarily do justice, but maybe it's also because maybe they did and I just have kind of grown past who Barrett is as a, a character. Um, I, yeah. He's, you know, he's boisterous at the beginning. He believes in his cause he's an eco-terrorist he's blowing up reactors that's bad 
But um, yeah, he'd be kind of yeah. realizing that it's not also black and white. Yeah, but I think, you know, I think uh, Aerith, for me, is maybe second behind Tifa. Uh, I just loved Tifa. You know, is it, there, is it really embarrassing? Is it really embarrassing that we're just going on about the two the main girls for Family Seven? Do you think people yes, will see right through us? <laughs> <laughs> and that dog character—he he was perfect. He was, he, he was cool, <laughs> actually. You know, and you know, Liam, one hundred percent. They they got they got all of the key main characters correct, and it was great. Yeah, it was great to see that. What was super weird was to see someone like Catsit thrown in there. Spoiler, yeah. Um, who's a character who yeah, appears okay. like much later on in the game and becomes a, a key member of your party. Um, he was I, just I, I, thrown in there. I thought it was cool and it worked for the story. I actually think they threw him in at the wrong time, to be honest. Yes, that was, that it, it my, took you out of it because it was a really powerful yeah. moment, right? So they, yeah, it, it took yeah. you out of that moment. What I did enjoy, um, and it, 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 it does work on two levels, right? It's like, if you've played this game before... Um, the integration of story elements. So I, I think it's worth noting at, the, at this point in the podcast that, you know, they switched it up. It's not exactly a shot-for-shot remake like Psycho with Vince Vaughn is of, of the original. They took liberties with... I never thought that is a reference that I would ever make on the podcast. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> oh, I wish Marcy was here. Um, and uh, he always keeps me honest. Um, but... <laughs> They took liberties with the story, right? And they, they made changes for 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 better or I, worse with this one. I do want to talk about it. I don't want to finish this episode without talking about it. Um, so spoilers, like may, we've dropped a couple of spoilers, but major spoilers for anyone who maybe hasn't played um, or finished the Final Fantasy VII remake. What I <laughs> kind of outside of myself, what I was very excited um, was for people to experience Final Fantasy VII like I did when I was a kid. I that's I like I think it was so cool that it was being remade because I actually think these characters are timeless. The story the story's not a masterpiece, but it's very good. All the elements it are is there, very you know? good. It's, it is very good. You know, it's it's, it's very good. It's, it's it's anime nonsense, but it's great characters and you know great plot twists and great world. And also so I was really excited for people to you know I was I was excited to experience myself. I want to see it all done up in fancy new graphics. But for maybe younger people to finally play it. And and experience that story. And they did that for 95% of Final Fantasy VII Remake is, you know, a faithful adaptation. But one key difference is that all through the game, there's weird ghost things, these spirit things that are they're, they're popping up and they're causing mischief. And, you know, halfway through the game, I began to start realizing what was happening with those ghost things. And... Essentially, they were changing things slightly. They were interacting in scenes, and then the scene wasn't going the same, the, like the exact same way it was going. It went in Final Fantasy VII original. So, the spoilers, people, but when you get to the end of Final Fantasy VII remake, it's kind of a sequel to Final Fantasy VII in in a way. Sephiroth, the main villain, certainly yeah. appears to be the, the same villain who you defeated in Final Fantasy VII. This is a kind of an and alter it's like, opened up it, the multiverse a, yeah it's like a multiverse thank you i was struggling so this is an alternate reality of final fantasy 7 where those ghost people were trying to trying to make sure everything went in the same way as the 1997 original but eventually our main characters break past them and they break out of their influence so 
the suggestion is then the sequel to Final Fantasy VII Remake, um, it's not really chained to the events of the original anymore. I'm sure they'll stick to it as a kind of uh, to signpost it, but anything kind of goes now. And there's big shocking moments in that last hour or so for Final Fantasy VII fans. But a character who's a huge fan favorite shows up, Zack. And I was kind of like, oh my god, it's Zack. But anyone who hasn't who anyone who's like hasn't played Final Fantasy VII before, the remake, like, he's mentioned briefly, but the remake does no gives him no kind of help to know who he is, know why the significance of what he does at the end of that game and him not dying at that point. And I just kind of was like, that's really interesting. But I was actually just thinking of, you know, oh, wouldn't it be better if it was just the main story? And now a year has passed since I've played it, and I kind of have different opinions about it. But how do you feel about it? Um, yeah, I was like, I was between two minds, right? You know, it's you're one hundred percent correct in in touching upon the Zach, um, the uh, the Zach impact, right? And I totally picked up on that, and, and I compare it to quite often, actually. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of J.J. Abrams' Star Trek movies, and I call it the Khan impact, right? It's like, if you've never seen the original Wrath of Khan, and you watch Star Trek Into Darkness, spoilers, Benedict Cumberbatch is Khan. But when he says it... Yeah, it, it doesn't matter. If you don't know what Khan yeah. or who Khan is, it doesn't matter. It's like, all okay... That all that shit sank that movie for me, like... Exactly. And that's the thing. It's like, okay... So if you don't have any um, uh, original background knowledge, it doesn't mean anything. So and it, it it works on this level as well. You know the 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 main piece for me that really kind of set into motion of like oh shit we're in the, we're in the multiverse now is have you ever played Crisis Core Liam? Do you know what I have not? Um, yeah. I never owned a P- I never owned a PSP and I've never emulated it and I'm actually kind of just waiting for it because I. I I always feel like they're going to re-release it on something. Yeah. So what I will so say I is really I like never that. played it. It was a Final Fantasy VII prequel. I've watched it on YouTube. I've watched oh, it. Okay. Was... <laughs> uh, years ago, I watched it because I just didn't have a PSP available. But I, I would still love to play that game sometime. But I've, I know the story. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. I had. Um, I've played it. Quite a good game. I actually quite enjoyed it. And obviously, it builds out that lore even more, right? So, a part of. Um, that game is Zack dies and he's like mowed down by, by Shinra. And during the scene is there's a, like a, a bag of chips that like floats past him. In oh, that this, scene. this is the ending. This is the ending of remake. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like in the original timeline, there's a bag of chips that floats by, but it has a different logo compared to the one. That's yeah, in the so it, yeah. and it's shit like that. You know what I mean? It's, it's like okay, like so we so, like, we're, so there's two timelines now, or there's two different multiverses now. Yeah, exactly. It's, so it's like without any idea, like if you had never played Crisis Core, you would have never have fucking known this moment uh, where it's like we're fr- we're freeze framing on this dog of of uh, Avalanche. That's what it was. I think it was like the, the, that emblem. Of no, Avalanche. it was it was Shinra's dog. No, it was Avalanche. It was Shinra's dog. Remember. Yeah. yeah. Shinra's propaganda dog, I think. Yeah, exactly. So it was one or the other. It's like, okay, we've created it. It's happening, but it's happening in a different way. That alludes to the fact that Zack is still alive now, so we're probably going to get Zack at some playable character. But is he? Is he alive in the same timeline that our main characters are in? It's, that's, that's, that's what was so annoying about it as well, was that by adapting the, the first few hours of Final Fantasy VII into a longer thing, it made it the most kind of... like There's still all... There's a talking 
cat dog man there's all these crazy things it's it's a, it's a jrpg but it actually made the narrative so kind of simple in comparison to other square enix games it didn't yep. have any of that square yeah i don't want to kind of shit on it but it's not made that square you know nonsense uh, that they often get especially in the third acts of their games where it's just all like like i have a certain affection not a lot but i have a certain affection for kingdom hearts but that plot line has just evolved into convoluted well, that's the thing, right? it, it's, it's silliness like- it, yeah, but fi- and that's how Final Fantasy VII is kind of gone in with the remake. It, 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 was, it, it has. But it was gone. in the last hour. It was in the last hour. You know, it was. It, it didn't have any of that the whole way. And then the last hour, all the Square Enix type convoluted confusion just got stuck in there. And I'm yeah. in two minds about it. Yeah, you know, it's. You know, I I'll say this right. Um, when the bits that we were speaking about earlier on in this podcast of when you walk in out into that open world and it's this vastness and to a certain degree, it's, 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 there's this emptiness. What I'm thinking is how do you replicate that in a, in a remake? You know what I mean? Like as for the the next player, for the next one. So players want more. I think video games have kind of diluted themselves potentially to a western audience especially at how massively successful final fantasy 7 was in the west that if you're if you're following the shot for shot and plot for plot remake of the original in part two it probably doesn't work so i think they took liberties to be like you know what we're going to be able to interject scenes in this where you're not just going around towns and you're finding out about plot because i dude i my favorite parts of that game as well as midgar well i fucking love the whole thing to be completely honest with you but (laughs) it it's the flashbacks it's the speaking to the characters and and one of my favorite things is going to nibbleheim right i would love a tv show hbo max pick this shit up it's (laughs) it's a nibbleheim tv show because everyone there works for Shinra and is creating an illusion that nothing happened in this town when there was a massive destruction. That's awesome. Do you think they're still in character when the protagonists aren't walking through the town? (laughs) That's a really good fucking... (laughs) Then they just walk in, it's like, everyone's dancing around town. But I like... I It's those things, right? And like, it's the small character moments that we spoke about. It's the character development. It's the silly shit like going to the Costa del Sol fucking beach town. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Going to that uh, that town where you ride, where no, sorry, a dolphin boosts you up by its. Can, it's yeah, I'd be oh. shocked if that makes it a Final Fantasy remake too. The dolphin bit, and then you have to so, give like, CPR I, to a child. I just, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good game. We, we swear, um, it is. Yeah, it's but, great. We're, we're selling it well. But like, it's my thing is like they need to. There's a big thing about remakes these days, which is, and you 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 hear a lot about this from from filmmakers, is like, well, what's the point of just like, or like a, a, adapting a book, right? Which is like, well, people have already read the book, so we got to give them a different ending, or we got to add our own um, sensibilities to it, so it provides some variety because they've already gotten flavor one, and we need to give them flavor two. But I just feel. I feel like we're fucking we're going off an edge here, man. Like as in with part two, um, we're going into some dangerous territory. And Liam, before we even get there, we got Final Fantasy VII Intergrade. Yeah, and some DLC that's injecting a character who wasn't in the Midgar section back into it. I'm really excited about that. <laughs> I don't know. 
So, so I actually, this was something that I began talking about earlier, which is there's two things, like big things that they do throw in, right? One is um, the Zach piece, which again, right? It's like, it's very subtle and then they try to hit you with impact and it doesn't necessarily hit. But the other one is with Wutai, which is where, you know, this character Yuffie, a playable character that you can get later, much later on in the game, right? Not um, much. A your... couple of hours after Midgar. Is it a couple of hours? Well, she's secret, so you can kind of get her wherever you want. You have to find her. Yeah, so anyway. like... Anyway. So it's implied that the people from her town and her, like, village are a terrorist group who have been causing all of this ruckus in Midgar. But, you know, they're not referenced at all, really, until later in the original game. So so it's... Yeah. There, there's two ways of doing things, right? There's they did that right by really integrating into the story. Where if you didn't have any pre-existing knowledge of Final Fantasy VII, Wu Tai works, mm, but Zach yes. doesn't. Oh, so, uh, good point. Totally agree. Yeah, yeah. There's 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 ways to do to expand the world organically so that it doesn't matter if you played the original or not. But see, the thing is, despite all that, though, I'm <laughs> I just know it's a curse and. A means of excitement. I'm, it's it's going to be my most anticipated thing for the next few years. I I think at this Final Fantasy VII remake sequel, the next chapter, whether it's the middle chapter, the one of eight, we don't know what they're going to do. It's probably it'll probably be hung around our next sort of next twenty years them remaking this game slowly. But I do think not knowing exactly what it's going to be now has actually added to that excitement. It makes me nervous. Of course, I don't trust um, modern day Square Enix to pull it off. Even though on the other side of that coin, I will say that the Final Fantasy VII remake is my favorite game they've done since Final Fantasy XII for the PS2, maybe like a long time ago. I thought it was their best game because I've really fell out of love with, with Square Enix. But I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do despite all the trepidations. How about you? Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm a cautiously optimistic. Um. I yeah. like I'm I'm worried I'm worried uh, to the certain extent that like I don't know what they're going to do but Liam I also don't know what I want them to do and that's the thing right it's like I don't know True. what I want from True. Final Fantasy 7 <laughs> remake part 2 interlude 7 6 anymore um, <laughs> birth by sleep what uh, God, Jesus Christ <laughs> but what I have heard and I don't know if you know I, I don't know if you read this recently but they there was a recent interview about like where they are at development and and what that game is going to be like um and you know they've said well one apparently development is going well but two it is going to be like more open and it's going to be really different to what we experience with midgar yeah you know it's got uh, so i would imagine um yeah i would imagine we're in for a bit of a skyrim yeah. experience to yeah, be completely say, honest think- with you do you think they'll go like the modern interpretation of an open world? Like, cause I'll say that was one of the things I really liked about the remake was that, um, I think a lot of people maybe would have wanted an open world, fully explorable Midgar, but I liked that it stuck to the, you know, linear progression of the original game, but allowed it to open up into small explorable areas every now and then for me, that's the, still the best way to facilitate all the kind of best set pieces and story beats from Midgar. But it would be very interesting if you left Midgar in Final Fantasy remake two, and a big actual traditional open world like is it like breath of the wild or the witcher can you go where you want how are they going to do this like you know mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I have absolutely no idea because <laughs> it's. Um, but you know, Liam, the latest trailer for Integrade, which came out last week, I don't know if you've seen it, but the, there was a no, lot but, coming no, back. But, <laughs> but one of the the set pieces that happens later on in the game at Cosmo Canyon, where you're building a war force against Shinra's soldiers. Whoa, 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 whoa! Fort Condor. Fort I mean, Condor. That's, sorry, that's okay, man. I'm so you, sorry, I'm so sorry for yelling. <laughs> But yes, that's interesting. Um, so they've they've changed like, like that happens. Yeah, they've turned into a board game, in in universe board game. Do you know what I mean? That's how they've done it. So in the real game, you go to this place called Fort Condor, and the original game, and you start commanding troops. And the game changes the genre to a kind of a real time strategy, or yeah, real time strategy. And you start like commanding troops, and then they've turned it into an actual game. The characters are playing in the universe of Final Fantasy Seven remake, and I think. That's cool mm-hmm. for me. That's another interesting way to bring back old elements from the original. But again, it's definitely yeah. changing things dramatically from the original. Kind of, it's almost one of the first indications, you know, that the ending of remake kind of promise was that yeah, you know, it's going to be very different going forward. Liam, you said, and you you said that Yuffie was an optional character in the original Final she Fantasy VII. Now. Final Fantasy VII, one of the things that I said that I adore about that game most is the lore. And there are things in that game where they're spoken about in conversation. And unless you bought like the guidebook or you spoke to someone, you would never even know about them. Um, So the game was filled with secrets that related to lore, right? Some of them were characters, you know, being Vincent and Yuffie. And the others being the planet's weapons. So uh, (laughs) I'm honest to God, I'd love to know your opinion of like, Yuffie is no longer a optional character, which she kind of is because you have to fucking pay 70 bucks to to play. Excuse me, 70. You have to pay 570. They're not releasing the DLC on PS4. Bastards. Yeah. Very cheeky. Final Fantasy 7 is still technically a PS4 game. So how fucking dare they? Yeah, actually. So so do you think we're going to get optional? Are you think we're going to get the extent of that and those secrets? Um, I'm going to go through this very quickly. There is hardcore Final Fantasy VII fans who are big fans of the compilation of Final Fantasy VII, which was in the 2000s, a bunch of Final Fantasy VII stuff started coming out that related to that game. Um, we already brought up the Advent Children in the movie. Owen brought up Crisis Core, the prequel. I'm sorry if any Final Fantasy VII fans love this game, but in the 2000s, they released a really shit game called Dirge of Cerberus Final Fantasy VII, where you played as Vincent Valentine. It was Square Enix's attempt as a terrible shooter. It had, in my opinion, a really bad story, really bad characters. Own Integrate is full of Dirge of Cerberus characters. The, the bad really? guys from Dirge of Yeah, the, the big white-haired guy and the black-haired guy. I don't know their names. I'm sorry. And the black-haired guy with bandages <laughs> around his face. They're in it, so they're clearly doing this. They're like they're they're going big on this kind of grabbing whatever. Not, not necessarily from Final Fantasy VII. They're not bringing like end of game bosses. They're bringing oh my god, lore from Dirge of Cerberus into like the main remake now. That surprised me, and I don't so know. So I don't know if it's a good. So move. yeah, Liam, I'm now that you've said that, um, I'm willing to place a bet, um, ten bucks. We're probably going to get a playable Advent Children. Like I <laughs> well, guarantee there's, you. 
I guarantee you, <laughs> no, no, but I guarantee you their end, they're probably bringing this whole universe to a playable singular story. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, this is the final fantasy um, that you've like watched and played over the years, but now it's everything in one. And we were able to bring it together as one entire game. You know what I mean? I don't know if it's necessary. I don't like, I maybe it's just at the certain time I was born and the certain age I was, I don't think a lot of that comp- uh, not speaking of Christ's score, I know that's beloved. A lot of that Advent Children and Dirge of Service, it's not worth salvaging, to be honest. Imagine playing through Advent Children, the video game, like press square to not look Tifa in the eyes while you talk to her and be a fucking sad sack. You know what I mean? I don't need it. Uh, They're releasing a grateful. bunch I'm of... I'm still like, grateful for you for introducing <laughs> that movie to me. I'm like, yeah, They're releasing a bunch of random awesome. shit, though, Owen. They're, Owen. They're releasing a Fortnite-esque Battle Royale based on Final Fantasy VII, and you just said said it there. They're releasing a mobile game that seems to be recreating moments from the entire Final Fantasy VII series, like Aven- or not Avengers Children, but Crisis Core and the original, definitely. And it's free to play, but there is loot boxes in it. So they're doing a lot of shit bad shit with this franchise right now i'm just holding on to hope that the main remake thing will be actually not bad shit mm-hmm. liam <laughs> would you would you say if you had never played final fantasy 7 before and you had never played an rpg before would you mm-hmm. here's a good question would you direct someone towards the remake or would you yes. direct them towards the original oh because both are available. Yeah. Use code Halo System for no discount. <laughs> yeah, we don't. We don't have codes. Yeah, we will. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> I read a comment, and this is just one comment on the internet. But when you read a comment that that's cool, it sticks with you. I don't know where it was. I don't know, but um, someone made a little diatribe about how they never got the appeal of Final Fantasy VII and the remake. Show the, the remake finally let them understand hmm. i think which i don't know I, I, I do can't remember the details but like the character maybe it's the characters how the writing is better and obviously the graphics um, um gameplay arguably better certainly different um i am of the opinion that if you're a fan of video games like I'm not gatekeeping video games now you can play whatever the fuck you want but if you're a fan of video games wouldn't it be nice to play old games that you've never played before so i actually almost would say Play the Final Fantasy VII remake if you've never played it, if you've never played Final Fantasy VII, and maybe play Final Fantasy VI. That is going to be my little kind of way of getting around that. So I wouldn't recommend people playing the original Final Fantasy VII. I'd recommend them playing the one before that six, which is, I think, better, but not as quite as important and as seminal to my childhood. Will we ever get a live-action Final Fantasy? Who would play Cloud? Lance... Bass, who played Sephiroth in Advent Children. Perfect. I was thinking um, William H. Macy would be good. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Well, guys, we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us again. And I'm sorry we were only, you know, at two-thirds strength this time. Marcy, come back to us, please. I can't stare at Owen's baby blues anymore. I think he would enjoy. I told him already on the podcast. I think... I'm really excited because one day he will play the Final Fantasy VII remake. <laughs> oh, I know oh, he's not... you just turned you just turned into a villain there. He will play it. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing my best to yeah. Macy. 
<laughs> but thanks so much guys for um listening to hey look listen and it'd be really swell of us if you could um follow us on um social media on our um our twitter and our instagram uh we'll be releasing some content me and marcy have some stuff coming out and liam guess what the... what i built us a website what what is that website on hey look listen.com yeah so we're we have a website now we thought it'd be really nice to have one place where we could hold and host everything and i know that the two lads in in, in particular have been produce, producing some really good stuff Liam, you've been doing the Genesis Gems and the Good Gaming Yarns, which I, in particular, have been fucking loving. Um, those are some really good pieces, so I can't... What, what's next? What's next? What will be What will be out that people should check out by the time this episode is out? I'm going to continue writing about more games with really good stories. I'm going to continue writing about games, um, <laughs> Mega Drive games that I played when I was a child. But I'm actually working on a little labor of love, just top 20 Nintendo 64 games, because why not? Because I loved Nintendo 64, and I know Marcy, as we're recording this, has an amazing article up about Red Dead Redemption and his memories of it, which just warmed the cockles of my heart. And by the time this is released, maybe he'll have something else up. I hope so. Yeah, hopefully. But yeah, hopefully. yeah. If, if you're enjoying our if you're enjoying our podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you checked out our website and followed us. But you know, we appreciate you just listening and just being here, and. um Thanks, guys. Um, I was Liam Sheehan. I was joined by Owner Reardon, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone.